0: someone can't get traditional bank capital, don't go to the predatory lenders. That's easy money, but the easiest money to get is the hardest money to pay back. But the CDFI in your community or in your state, they're the ones that you can turn to and they'll understand where you are, where you're coming from, and where you're going. Welcome to Forward with NACI,
1: inspiring entrepreneurial action a podcast that shares the stories of everyday entrepreneurs, entrepreneurial leaders, and the communities that support us. We hope that this diverse collection of stories brings you inspiration, inspires you to take action, and ignites entrepreneurship in your community as we make our way forward together. Welcome
2: to this episode of Forward with NACI. I'm Rebecca Corbin, and I'm very happy to have a special guest in our studio today, someone that I've, I've known for the past couple of years that's doing some really interesting and impactful work in the entrepreneurial space. So I'd like to welcome uh, Russ Siegel to our program. Russ, you're the executive director of the Sequoia Fund, among other things. So why don't we begin our conversation and tell us a little bit about your background? Who are you? Um, where are you coming from? And, and what brought you? to the work you're doing today.
0: Well, thank you, Rebecca, for for having me. Um, Yeah, I was the weird kid in school. I was always the one thinking about ways to make money, always thinking about businesses I could start. And I'm a Gen Xer, and so that was not a very common thing. Everybody else in school and in college was focused on going out, getting that Fortune 500 job. And here I was thinking about how to start my own business. So I was always the outsider, and I did it. You know, I started a little business uh, back in the early '90s. It failed, so I started another one. It <laughs> failed too, and <laughs> third time's the charm. Uh, you know, I was working in the corporate world and doing what we now call side hustles. Mm-hmm. And this side hustle turned into something, and and I ran with it. Later on, my wife, who is a community college math instructor, she said, "I think there's this job that you should apply for." I think you'd really enjoy it. And I said, Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but I kind of have a job. I'm running a business. And she said, Just humor me and apply for this. And it was the Small Business Center Director job at the local community college. And sure enough, I thought I'd really enjoy this. And I enjoyed doing that for about 12 years. So I did a lot of training, I did a lot of uh, training coordination for small businesses, a lot of seminars, and now, of course, webinars. But I worked with hundreds and hundreds of small businesses, and I was able to impart on them all the mistakes that I'd made to make sure they they didn't go down the same road that I had gone down so many times before. And I was putting together some small business training courses for this little organization in Cherokee, North Carolina, called the Sequoia Fund. I knew nothing about it. All I knew was that they had some money they wanted to put into some small business training. and we were having breakfast one morning. And about our third meeting and the executive director at that time said, wouldn't this just be easier if you worked for us? (laughs) And half jokingly, I said, well, make me an offer I can't refuse and we'll talk. And they did. And here I am. That was 14 years ago. So I've been doing this for 14 years. I knew nothing about the CDFI industry. When I came on board, I knew nothing really about Sequoia Fund except that it was a relatively young organization doing some pretty exciting things in the world of small business development. So I've learned a lot over the years, and, and it's only made me fall in love with this field more.
2: Yeah, what, what an interesting journey. And I always think about that because I'm a Gen Xer, too, and a bit of an oddball myself. And I never really felt like I found my my place until I got to the community college about 15 years ago. I worked for one in New Jersey for six years, and then um, came over to Nacy And I, I think what's interesting is if you think about the entrepreneurial mindset, which I know you do a lot of work in that way. You mentioned a couple of things: it's looking at assets. So even if you look at sort of our generation being latchkey kids, if you will, you know, go entertain yourself, <laughs> go do something, <laughs> make yourself useful, <laughs> like the opposite of what helicopter parents would be. Today. Right. <laughs> but you know, kind of. Kind of feeds that entrepreneurial spirit, but you had mentioned your three businesses, which I think is is really good because I think sometimes people give up too quickly. You know, it is part of the learning process, and a lot of the teaching and learning um, that I've observed from you is really kind of getting to that fail fast. So you get to that go/no go decision, or if things start to cascade into this area of hope, which is never a good place to be in the business world, that right. you can make decisions and if they have an advisor like yourself to help them. So I'd like to just go back for a second. Tell us what your job was like when you were a small business director. Like what was a day in the life of Russ at that time?
0: Well, I had a wonderful manager. My, my dean was a former CPA and she told me on day one, you define your job. We know what this job entails, but we're not going to tell you how to do it. You're going to be working with entrepreneurs and we want you to to act entrepreneurially. We want you to do things that make sense. And if that means you work 10 or 12 hours one day and you take the next day off or you don't work at all or you work weekends or nights and beyond the hours, it was just you decide how the job gets done. You don't always have to know all the answers. We have a lot of resources that you can tap into here at the community college to help people get the right answers. And so my philosophy was always, I don't know, let's find out. But, But over time, when you work with a large number of businesses in a wide variety of fields, you start to see patterns emerge so that when somebody would come in and say, you know, I want to start a restaurant. My first Question was what restaurant experience do you have? And he said, Well, I love, love to eat. Well, I like to eat too, but I don't need to be running a restaurant. That's not, that's not my strength. But you 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 also take the experience you you learn from one type of business and you can apply it to a, a, a large number of other types of businesses. So over time, you see a lot of people walk in the door and they say, Well, my business is unique. My business is not like anybody else's business. Well, your business might be a little different. Your business might be in a different location. You might have a little different concept, but business is business. Look, your break-even point is your break-even point. You're either going to get over that bar or you're not. You're either going to make money or you're not. Cash flow is cash flow. So we start looking at the nuts and bolts of how they run that business, and they find out that, wow, my business is just like every other business. I may not be as large as Home Depot, but I can still measure my success on sales per square foot, inventory turns, all of the same types of metrics that larger businesses use and this is i think one of those uh, benefits that i had coming out of the corporate world was that i could use some of the tools i had and apply those to small businesses who always thought i'm different nobody else <laughs> is like me what you're telling me won't work
2: <laughs> yeah i mean i think you know i think about numbers a lot too cuz i i okay so your wife was a math instructor like i was one who kind of thought I was good at things other than math. But when I started to really dig into finance, that really made sense to me because the the numbers translating to dollars, I, I don't know, for some reason that it just seemed fun to me to work in that space. And I know you do that as well. But I think what you're talking about, you know, even pattern recognition or even that ability to face Hard realities. It, it's maybe not even just businesses. It's nonprofits. It could be even a church, for example. Um, yes. I've learned that in, in my role as a CEO of NACI. You know, we have cash flow, we've got payroll to meet. We don't do not get government funding. So we've got to be really smart with the the resources that we have and be good stewards. So we're always looking, or I'm always looking at the PL and trying to see, you know, how can we save money for a rainy day? Cause there will be a rainy day. <laughs> We all got that during the pandemic, so that's really that's really great to share. And one of the things I've learned from you um, that I'd like for you to inform our listeners about is this entity called the CDFI. If you could uh, share with us what does that stand for, and how is that something um, that can help, like an everyday entrepreneur?
0: It's it's one of those things that I'll admit I was a little embarrassed that when I found out about it, I didn't already know about it. But then I started to talk to bankers, people in the small business finance industry, who didn't know what this was. So real quick history, back in the 80s, Bill Clinton met this man from Bangladesh named Muhammad Yunus, and he was running a little organization in in Bangladesh in India and some other countries called Grameen Bank. Grameen Bank was founded on a peer lending model. Which meant the community came together and decided on the loans that they would issue. Now, if I borrow the money, and Becky, you're a part of that community. If I don't pay my loan back, it affects the money that you're able to borrow. Mm -hmm. It affects your interest rate. So you, as my peer, you have a vested interest in helping me with my business, helping keep me on my toes and helping hold me accountable. And that peer lending model became very, very successful. And it was a way to help small villages and towns around the world to grow their base economy using the, the person who had a kitchen table and a dream. So when he learned about this, he started bringing these ideas to what was at that time, the Community Reinvestment Act, which had been around since the 70s, but nobody had really ever done anything with it. So he started talking to the people in government who were over that Community Reinvestment Act. And he said, why don't we take this model? Let's overlay it on the CRA. Let's see what we can do with it. So in 1994, he signed the bill that brought CDFIs into existence, and that is Community Development Finance Institutions. Today. We're not even supposed to exist. The CDFI Fund, which is a sub-department of the U.S. Treasury, had a sunset date on it of around 2001, 2002. And it's one of the few governmental projects or governmental programs that actually is a great investment for the U.S. taxpayer. It brings money in. It, it, it helps small towns. It helps communities. It helps even underserved communities within larger cities. It is a way for finance to step into the gap between the predatory lenders and the family members who have a little bit of money and the traditional banks who have no interest in helping small businesses. In fact, most of the people we work with could be bankable if they weren't in the startup phase. Mm. Banks will tell you, we don't want to talk to you if you're under two years old. It's a protection mechanism for them. They're better off buying treasury bonds than helping small businesses get started from a financial standpoint. But what we've seen in the CDFI industry is remember there's CD and there's FI. We are community development. We're also Mm -hmm. finance institutions. So you have a wide variety of these types of organizations. There are over 1200, almost 1300 CDFIs across the country. Mm -hmm. Some of these are banks, credit unions, venture capital funds. Some of them are just small community development funds like ours. We're a loan fund, which means we take that money that we get from the, from the U.S. Treasury, we turn it into small business loans, we get that money back, and we do it over and over and over. When I first came to Sequoia Fund, we had a portfolio of around $3 million. Our portfolio now is around $7.5 million. And and we have about 11 and a half million in assets. And it's all because we were able to take the money that we were granted. You don't get government grants, but we do. And we're able to take that money and turn it into more money, help more small businesses, grow the economy. And our lending footprint is very small. Our lending footprint is seven counties in western North Carolina. But there are CDFIs that cover multiple states. There are CDFIs that cover the entire country. Uh, there are CDFIs that are focusing on Latino businesses. There are uh there are religious-based CDFIs. You have large Jewish communities in a lot of major cities, these CDs, especially Brooklyn, New York. You have CDFIs that focus solely on that community. So a CDFI can define where it needs to serve the most and build itself around that. So there's uh there's just a multitude of variety out there. The beauty of this is, I guess this is the long way around the barn to say, if someone can't get traditional bank capital, don't go to the predatory lenders. That's easy money, but the easiest money to get is the hardest money to pay back.
2: Yes.
0: And your family thinks you're crazy anyway for starting a business, so don't, don't ask them for money. But the CDFI in your community or in your state, they're the ones that you can turn to and they'll understand where you are, where you're coming from, and, and where you're going.
2: Russ, can you tell us, like, what is, like, an average CDFI loan? I know there's probably a range, but just give us a sense. Is it a few thousand dollars? It is $100,000?
0: It, it depends on the CDFI. Again, there's a lot of different variety within the CDFI industry, and you you mm-hmm. have some CDFIs that focus solely on larger, high-impact, high-growth businesses. So their their average loan size is going to be much larger. For us, our average loan is $34,700. So not world-changing numbers, but definitely family-changing numbers, future-changing numbers, community-changing numbers. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have a lot of CDFIs that focus on micro-lending, which is defined as 50000 and below. And within that, they're making small loans of $1,500, $2,500 but even those small amounts can change lives when there's no other alternative.
2: Definitely. I mean, I, one of the things I love about our partnership with you is, is um, NACI's work around um, the skilled trades and how we see entrepreneurship um, being infused into skilled trades. We've seen through ours, we're not, we don't have a CDFI, but we have an everyday entrepreneur uh, venture program fund. So we it has right now, we've got a couple hundred thousand dollars that we give to community colleges, and we try to get them to get local matches and get that money out into communities. But we've seen tremendous impact with grants or small loans you know, five thousand, six thousand dollars. You know, it would help you buy a set of tools, it could help you buy a barber chair, it helps you get started. And then if you can get the yes. support from somebody like yourself, who is knowledgeable in the area, it can really change a family. It can change a community, especially rural communities. And, and I know part of, it's part time...
0: of, the, part of the problem, and, and I know our time is short, but you know, part of the issue that you're talking about there is the person who needs a barber chair or the person who needs a set of tools. They're going to walk into the bank and they're going to say, I need a million dollars because they don't know. Everybody wants a million dollars. Uh, that that that's just almost a thing that, you know, there must be a guidebook out there that says, if you want to start a business, ask for a million dollars. <laughs> and nobody, nobody has a concept of what that is, but they walk into a bank and they say, I need this big amount of money. And the bank just says, no. And that's it. They walk into a CDFI and they say, I need this big amount of money. And the CDFI says, hold on a second. Let's, let's pare this down a little bit. Let's get down to the nitty gritty and see what you actually need. And yes, that $50,000 loan might turn into a $7,500 loan just through some planning and some thinking. So, yeah, it's, it's more than just about uh, getting the money. It's about helping people get the right money and apply it the right way. So. and i
2: think getting the right advice and that's what i've learned in the part of my career i spent in you know fundraising and development like if you want money ask for advice <laughs> if you yeah, want exactly. advice, <laughs> ask for money and and that's it's really true and sometimes what i've found in my life we have a couple of donors here at naci that are, have just become very close to me personally and to the organization and what they give back to us in terms of guidance and advice is even far beyond the generosity of their gifts, because they, they take us on a path of, of, you know, really a prosperity, actually, mm-hmm. so that we can share with our members. So I had one last thing I want to talk to you about as we wrap up our conversation. Your organization has developed a new app, which is really cool. I've played around with it and, and shared it with some of my um, colleagues. So tell us a little bit about Tactics and, and what it does and, and what you hope for it to do in the future.
0: You know, this is one of those entrepreneurial ventures that we went into a little bit blind. I wouldn't recommend it uh, unless you've got some money to play with. And, and we just we happen to have that. This was in the middle of COVID. We have for years had this beautiful entrepreneurial curriculum called Real Entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And it's very analog. I've always joked that if you have a flip chart and a barn, you can teach people how to run a business. And Real Entrepreneurship was the analog version of 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 that, but during COVID, analog was out. We couldn't be face to face with anyone. We had some money that was coming in from the government, from the state government, from the federal government, and they, the the money printing machines were just going crazy, and they were throwing money into these communities to keep small businesses alive. And universally, small businesses were afraid to borrow the money. Yes, they were taking the PPP and the EIDL money from the SBA because those were forgivable loans. They were looking at ways to to work that into their plan, but. They didn't want to borrow money from us. The uncertainty was too great. But also universally, they said the same thing over and over. Get us more customers. If you can find ways to get us more customers, that's all we need. Just help us do that. We took this program that was analog and we took this digital need. And like a lot of schools, we did this emergency digital plan where we just started throwing things on Zoom. Let's throw it against the wall and see what sticks. And we. We actually did this in a way that utilized some local social media professionals, uh, some local digital marketing pros. And we, we brought them together and said, how can we use what we have and what we need? Let's, let's put this together in a program. And we realized over time that we were, we were not trying to teach people overarching social media strategy. We weren't trying to teach them anything but the very basic tactics of how to use digital marketing to get people in the door mm-hmm. or in the virtual door. And so we called this Tactics, T A C T I X, and we spelled it that way because if you have an app on the Google Play Store or the Apple Store, you can't spell anything right. I mean, if you look at the <laughs> 9 out of 10 have these really wacky spellings, but it also fit. And so we created this Tactics community where we are now putting people through flash forward, we're putting people through a 16-week cohort. We're getting ready to start one next week. At the end of the 16 weeks, you're going to have all the tools Tactics that you need to utilize social media in a smart and effective way to bring customers in the door. Beyond the course, there's a community of people who've been through this. The the community we think is the binder that's going to hold people together for a long time. Once you finish the course, now you've got these people who went through the same experience with you. You can form groups, you can work together, uh, you can form industry groups. And all of these groups are curated. So our professionals are dipping in and out of these various groups all day, every day, just to make sure that people are getting the right information. What we found, especially with things like LinkedIn groups and Facebook groups, is sometimes you'll get an individual who runs a very successful business, but they give terrible advice.
2: Right. That's right.
0: And we want to make sure people are getting the right stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're sponsoring, we're sponsoring seats. We what we're doing is we're helping organizations to buy blocks of seats that you can offer your entrepreneurs uh, at no cost to them. Uh, if you have an organization like a CDFI fund, a loan fund, a community development organization, you know, we're we're sponsoring 50 seats in this next cohort. If you wanted as few as 10 seats, we we work that out. But the, the whole idea here is let's figure out a way to help our small business owners use social media in a smart way. They think they're using social media, but they're spinning their wheels. They go down that rabbit hole and half of their day is eaten up by looking at cat pictures or something like that. So we want to make sure they're getting the right tools, the right tactics to run their business the right way.
2: I love that, Russ. You're creating things that haven't existed that are needed. And I think that... It's just remarkable. So I really appreciate the fact that you've spent time with us. I know everyone who's listening can check out the Sequoia Fund, maybe would really get um, interested and learn a little bit more about CDFIs as, as really um, something that's really going to promote what we've been talking a lot about on this program is diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, because we do want the small, everyday Main Street um, business owner to really have access to the same opportunities that that others others have. So, Russ, thank you so much for being here and, and sharing your knowledge and your story with all of us.
1: It's been a pleasure, Rebecca. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you will continue to explore the many ways to define entrepreneurship with NACI. As we celebrate opportunity, failing forward and success, learning from one another along the way. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform and follow at NACI on social media and learn more about us at NACI.com forward slash podcast. Stay tuned for a new episode each week. We look forward to making our way forward together with you. Have you heard the exciting news? NACI recently released a new publication titled The NACI Playbook, Volume 1, all about how entrepreneurial mindset sets the new standard for success in communities and colleges. The NACI Playbook digs into entrepreneurial mindset and how practicing leadership with this framework creates an agile culture with space to innovate, co-create, fail forward, and accelerate growth. Entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial leadership dot dot com